0: Hey Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, master sales trainer and coach and director of coaching at Sales Gravy. And I am so excited today to have Colleen Stanley on the show because I've wanted her on the show forever. You know, she's like one of those girl crushes that you have in business and you're like, I want Colleen on the show, and I watch her from afar and she's laughing at me right now. But before I let her speak. I'm going to give give a little intro to her. If you don't know her, you should. But Colleen Stanley is president and founder of Sales Leadership, Inc., a sales development firm. She's the author of two books, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success, now published in eight languages. And I know she was in Italy with Jeb recently, and I want to hear all about that. And Emotional Intelligence for Sales Leadership, now published in three languages. Not sure why not eight. We can find out about that. And Salesforce named Colleen one of the top sales influencers of the 21st century. She has also been named as one of the top 30 global sales gurus. Colleen,
1: welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here. Gina, thank you. And what a lovely introduction. And yes, you made me laugh out loud. So (laughs) that must be your improv background.
0: I think it was a little bit of my improv background. I I had to throw the girl crush in there. I throw that in. Every now and then it might not be politically correct, but sometimes things just come out of my mouth like that. I'm really excited to have you here because the topic we're talking about today is emotional intelligence, and it is something that it's like one of my favorite things to talk about because in the improv world, what I have noticed over the years is we talk about emotional intelligence, but we don't really necessarily talk about how to increase our ability to be emotionally intelligent. And several years I coined the, the term improvised intelligence, <laughs> taking <laughs> taking improv and using the techniques of improv to actually improve emotional intelligence. I'm just oh, going to I'm just going to wet your appetite with that and maybe we'll find our way there. But I have such a passion for this, and I know this is a big thing with you. So I just want to jump into this EQ thing because I love it so much. Uh, I'm trying to think of where we should start with it. But why don't we start with, you know, your take on emotional intelligence and maybe give some examples of how emotional intelligence affects sales.
1: Sure. And so I would say more of the textbook definition, and there are many out there, but it's really recognizing the emotions you're feeling, also the emotions others are feeling, how that affects how you show up, how you show up can affect others and really ultimately the actions you take or don't take. And you made an interesting point or I think a reference to where I think the reason sometimes people don't understand emotional intelligence is they, it's not taught in a practical way. It sounds very theoretical, esoteric. Mm-hmm. So let me give you a real, yeah. a couple of practical examples from the sales process. So we've all heard and you are a master coach to have salespeople ask more questions and salespeople write it down. They think it's something, You know, wow, this is great. And yet, how many years later are we still talking about the same thing, right? People talking too much and too soon, too often. And so it might be lack of literally a good questioning model, but a lot of times it's impulse control or lack of awareness. Mm. And impulse control is when you hear a buying signal and your desire to help that prospect or customer, you jump in with a solution. And so it literally could be becoming more aware of when you get triggered by wanting to solve rather than continue listening. So it's kind of marrying the two concepts, hard skills and soft skills. The other one I was, say, Gina, that people can relate pretty quickly is, you know, negotiation skills. And I know your company has a great book on that. And so when you study negotiation skills, those could be couched as hard skills. And yet everyone that teaches negotiation will talk about emotion management because, you know, good negotiators negotiate, they might lob a proven tactic. And if you're not able to remain stable and not get emotionally triggered, you will not apply any of the concession strategies, counter strategies, right. or remain stable. So that's kind of a practical way of mm-hmm. looking at the soft skills really help support the execution of the right selling behaviors.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell me more about what you mean by knowing and doing gaps.
1: Well, that's where, if you look at it, there are so many great sales books out there. I encourage everyone to read all of them because te- different teachers will speak to you in a different way. However, after you've read the material, studied the material, maybe role-played it, I bet in all your years of watching hundreds of practice sets or role-plays, you're seeing people that know what to do and they still don't do it. So let's use a really easy one. Everyone's been taught to get a clear next step on the calendar with a qualified prospect, Okay. But a prospect might say something like, give me a call in two weeks. Let's talk in two weeks. And the salesperson lacks the assertiveness to say, you know what? I don't have a couple of weeks on my calendar, but I do have next Thursday at two o'clock. So sometimes you could say that's lack of a selling skill. I'll guarantee you it's lack of assertiveness in stating what you need. And what you need is an appointment on the calendar. Right. To check this prospect's commitment to really talking again. That's a very small area, but I know you've had to see this where they're in chase mode because they didn't get that next step on the calendar.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you over the years, you know, that was probably one of my bigger weaknesses was the follow up and not getting the next appointment on my calendar. And now I'm sort of unapologetic about it. Like my style with it is, hey, you know, I'm in sales and I have to get something on my calendar. Right. And they're and I'm usually selling in the sales space. So salespeople sure. can right. I can talk to a salesperson that way. But even if they're not a salesperson, if I'm selling to somebody else, my approach is, you know, this, this is what you would get working with us. Like we're I'm modeling this for you that this is what we do, we get the next step. And so I think for me, it's been about having the confidence to do it, to not feel uncomfortable. do you think people don't ask for that next step?
1: Well, when people aren't able to bring their assertiveness muscle to the conversation, they engage in what I call passive aggressive type of selling. They go along to get along. Mm
0: -hmm. Now with
1: that, I would contend there's a belief system going on there, which needs some self-awareness oh, I don't want to look pushy. I don't want to get look desperate. So they go along to get along for a variety of reasons. And so it's literally not being able to hold that assertiveness muscle. And actually, I would flip this a little bit too, because I know you've been in sales a long time and been very successful. There are times you don't need a next step. And it is okay to disqualify the opportunity and say something like, Gina, we've had a great conversation today. But based on our conversation." I'm not seeing a clear reason for a next step. What am I missing? So assertiveness is also a huge skill in disqualifying opportunities that are never going to go anywhere. You know, they're going to end up in what we refer to as a practice proposal. So that could be a talk track like what we just demonstrated. Yeah. Yeah. But the assertiveness is what allows you to say the right talk track, the right things, the right way, the right place.
0: Yeah. If you don't mind, I want to dive dive into this a little bit deeper, because I think there are some listeners right now who are like, what? You just said there's no I'm supposed to say that to them. What would be your advice on that? Because I can just hear listeners right now. I have definitely given that talk track of like, I don't really. I don't see where we can be a solution for you. Or today I had a really candid conversation with someone. It was a stalled deal. I went through all my stalled deals and I'm like, is there any of these that I can resurrect? So I went through that in the beginning of the year and got back on another call with someone today. But prior to that, they had sent me all this information. like here are the things that have changed. This is what we're doing. We want you to be aware of it. And he was, he's an internal coach for me in that organization. So it's super (laughs) helpful. But he's like, we're doing this and we're talking to three other trainers. And I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. And I got on the phone with him and said, I'm going to be really honest with you. What's it going to take to be vendor of choice here? Because I don't want to go through this process. What needs to stand out? Right. And I felt really gusty doing that. But at the same time, I felt like I was owning
1: the process of I'm not going to waste time with this. Well, absolutely. And I think what's at play here is, Years of selling, which have made you wise, but there's another skill that you brought up here. You were assertive. Now you were being very nice. So you weren't being aggressive and right. doing weird. You know yeah, yeah, right. You get real weird. and like, But the other thing is you are applying another EQ skill called reality testing. Ooh. And the reality is you have probably conducted a number of win loss analysis and you've seen patterns and trends. Yes. Of where, you know what? I win here, I lose here. And your gut and probably your instincts were saying, I've seen this movie before. And the reality is we don't win in these situations. And if we do win, it's a pain in the neck engagement. (laughs) That's been my experience. So I don't need any more pain in the necks. You know, I'm over 60. We got enough, you know, (laughs) we got enough stretching going on. And so I that's what strikes me as what was going on.
0: I love that. I haven't heard that the reality testing. I think you're so bang on. Because I couldn't wrap my hand, my head around this one. I'm like, why? Because you're right. I've seen the movie. Movie. You the popcorn. <laughs> yeah. And I had such a rapport with this guy, too, that I felt like I could tell him this. I said, you know, I don't win these deals. I mm-hmm. literally told him that. I said, I don't win them when we're going to have this like trail of vendors. If I can't have the decision maker on the call, you've made it clear you're not that person. I need those people on the call. There you
1: go before I can do any more work on this. But see, again, what you did here is what a lot of sales professionals don't do. They're not slowing down to speed up. And that's not my term. I can't remember who I need to give credit to. But basically, informal win-losses analysis every quarter, you will see the trends. And the trends can be, this movie has a happy ending, this one does not. And so because you've done some analysis, That's what allows you to be assertive. You're not guessing anymore. You don't have FOMO, fear of missing out on something. You're basing this on reality. Yeah. But let's dig into the win-loss analysis. That takes the skill of delayed gratification, putting in the work to analyze your business instead of confusing being busy with productive. So a lot of people won't slow down to literally think, why am I winning? Why am I losing if I can't see the Mm -hmm. pattern. I'll bring my manager in. What pattern, you know, am I missing? Because there's always patterns in right. conversations and, you know, pain points, lead sources. You know, how do I win? And so you have to examine all of those. Yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because I was getting ready to go into this call and I'm like, and I was excited to reengage, And then I got that email with all these points in it that he made. And I'm like, why did I do this? <laughs> you put a I, fork in my eye. Yeah. And then I reached out to a colleague that I really respect and I respect, respect, how good he is at discovery questions. And I said, so I reached out and I said, let me read this to you. I want your perspective on good discovery. I'm like, I think I've got the right discovery questions on this, but this is the scenario. And I think that's important too. I'm like, I'm not going to go in this and try to like figure it out. I know the movie is not right. Yeah, How do I change the ending to this movie? Who can help me with that and give me a different perspective on it?
1: And I think that demonstrates a lot of self-regard and with self-regard usually comes humility. Now that might sound like too big of a word that I'm assigning to what you did, but you know, there's some people out there that won't ask for help because wait, I've been in sales a long time. I'm a rock star. I have a track record here. And what you demonstrate is what's really been proven in top producers. They're like really aware. I don't have the answer and I don't mind reaching out to somebody. Mm -hmm. know I don't have the answer. But that takes a lot of inner confidence. And, you know, again, in the EQ world, they call that, you know, self-regard.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, we'll see where this goes
1: with this deal because it's... I think you did great.
0: Thank you. It's freshly moving. He did, when I did say the differentiate, he's like, I want you. You're the one I want. I got two other quotes to make them happy, but I want you. And I'm like, great. You want me. You're not the decision maker. You know, I'm like, why me? He goes, I don't know. I just like you. Which, right? (laughs) I like you, I want you, right? And so I'm like, so how do I get them to want me? How do I, how do we, he's like, just be you, like send videos of you. And I'm like,
1: okay, we'll see what happens. But you know, he was coaching you along the way. And uh, good for you because you kind of called the elephant in the room there. You're not the decision maker. And he's been in sales long enough. Yeah. So, and a lot of people will dodge that elephant. You know, they kind of dance around it. They skirt yeah. around it, and then it just, you know, ends up being a sack.
0: Well, I got lucky with this one because this one has been forthright from the very beginning that I will coach you through this because I want you to win. I'm going to set you up in every possible way. So he's been, a, you know, you don't always get lucky to have that kind of a coach. So I've mm-hmm. been lucky with that. Let's shift. Okay. Let's talk about examples of how emotional intelligence can help sales leaders become better leaders or any leaders cuz I got my thoughts on this but I would love to hear your take on taking EQ up a notch with sales
1: leaders. So you know there's really probably three EQ skills that come to mind and you know the mega skill is emotional self-awareness because that what you're not aware of you cannot change and that what you're not aware of you're bound to repeat. So if you're having difficulty either managing a team, leading a team, generally what you've got to do is do self-reflection. That's what self-awareness is. And so I don't know if you're seeing this, Gina, but I see a lot of just people, I'm not even going to say sales leaders, they're almost in conversations, but they're only half there. And my opinion is that we have a, we have kind of a really distracted society out there. And I have to tell you, when you're having a conversation, you need to be a hundred percent present people sense that. So in a coaching conversation, if you're distracted, you got your phone out, you got this going on, nobody's going to open up to you. First of all, they're feeling dismissed. And then I think the term is psychologically safe. So self-awareness also has you recognize when you're doing deal review or deal coaching. You know, deal review is what a lot of sales leaders are good at. Analytics, pipeline, selling stages. Mm -hmm, Yeah. But you know what? That's great. But Deal coaching is the only thing that changes the numbers. And I see a lot of sales leaders shortcut coaching. Sometimes they literally have not gone to a professional training and coaching workshop. They don't know how to do it. So it's not their fault. But others that have learned training and coaching, they're shortcutting it. Okay, we only got 30 minutes. Well, why only 30 minutes? It's the most important thing you're going to do that week or by week. Right. Yeah.
0: What would be, I'm right on there with you, right? Is the coaching piece of this. So for those listening that have not been given training in how to coach through a deal, what would be some suggestions that you could give them to at least get them started?
1: You know, my first suggestion, and this is going to sound a little self-serving, but your company offers it, my company offers it, look everywhere. I don't care. Yeah. I think they need to enroll in a course because, you know, sales managers, frankly, my opinion, get set up to fail. Yes. You know, they hone all of these terrific skills, prospecting, business development, discovery, closing, presentation skills, then you get into sales management and these are entirely different skills. Yes. And then as a producer, they either read a lot of the books or attended professional training and then they get into sales management and they don't go to anything. So that would be my first suggestion is because there is a difference between training and coaching. I would yes. say as a former mm-hmm. VP of sales, I was always pretty good at training. I can't say I was good at coaching because I kept telling people what to do. And Gina, you know, after a while, I think I've told this person three times. Well, that's called coaching. You've either got a belief system, a buy-in, right. or there's something going on. And so that's where I would say I was a decent trainer, yeah. but lacking the coaching. And so I kept going around the same circle over and over. And
0: I think a lot of leaders fall into that, especially new ones, that they they fall into the training pattern of it or the... Let me show you how to do it or I'll do it for you. But they oh, forget to coach we'll after the We need to talk about that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about it.
1: Well, what happens, this is where self-awareness is important and delayed gratification. You know, they call it the chief revenue officer. Well, most of these people turn into the chief rescue officer mm. because what happens, you know, as people are learning new skill sets, sometimes they get worse before they get better because, you know, they don't have the number of reps in. So the leader starts getting nervous that we're going to lose this deal. So they keep jumping in and they're not aware that you're actually teaching something called learned helplessness. I'm good, but I'm not good enough. And so you know, what they get into that quandary of is you can't scale the company because one top dog, and I don't care if it's top producer, sales manager can't scale a company. So they turn into chief rescue officers and some kind of like that hero position as well. So you've got to be aware of that is why do I like being the hero instead of making heroes?
0: I was just going to ask you that. What is your take on that? Why do you think they
1: put themselves in the rescuer role? Well, the payoff is I'm indispensable. So again, you have to have that self-awareness. I'm indispensable. People need me. And so that's not a great way to scale a company. The other one, this is where delayed gratification comes in is understanding that mastery of skills can take anywhere from 18 days to 254 days. So they get frustrated that they're not learning the skill fast enough. But, you know, the problem is it's not, and I think James Clear gets credit for this, the author of Atomic Habits. He said, don't ask how long it's going to take, how often. Because as a manager, it's the reps. Yeah. And you do a consistent cadence of reps, drill skill, practice sets, role plays, what if, and that's consistent. And then you have your, and you coach your team. Yeah. Now you've got to practice on your own. They're going to master it quicker, but delay. See, it takes delayed gratification to coach because sometimes you're like, serious, we're going to do this one more time. <laughs> and, for, you know, but for some people, once they get there, unbelievable, but it takes them a little longer to get there. You know, Yeah. Yeah. So Um, I know you've seen this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've something along those lines. I've read this in one of Patrick Lencioni's books. And I think this applies because he talked about when it comes to communication as a leader, the phrase that I heard him speak at an event and he said, repeat, repeat, repeat. (laughs) And when I heard him say this, it was frustrating to me. This was quite some time ago. And as a leader at that time, I'm like, I don't want to keep repeating myself hear me the first time and do it. But the aha to that, that I never forgot, because I repeat it, is that people hear it when they hear it. People learn it when they learn it. They don't necessarily
1: hear it the first 10 times you tell them. Or and- even the first 10 times they practice. And that's really yeah. really neuroscience is neuroplasticity. You know, cells that fire together, wire together. So often, you know, to really, you know, Go on a sales call, look comfortable, confident. That takes a lot of repetitions because, you know, if they don't have it, I always make this joke like they're sitting there with this high level, you know, buyer and then they're sitting there trying to, you know, reach back. What's my next ninja move? Well, you should know your <laughs> next ninja move. Okay. And so then the conundrum is this we all know that being perfectly present is how you show you're engaged. But if you're so worried about what's my next talk track, you're not present and you're self-focused versus other focus. So it just gets into this. Not Yeah. So
0: and I think you would agree with this, right? The person on the receiving end, I teach this a lot with improv, is that the receiver is like, they see that's you're not all there.
1: They absolutely do. They
0: see it and they feel it. They can't quite put it together, but they feel that you're not there and you're not fully in the moment
1: and, and present. So- And if they've got a problem that, you know, is really eating them up, you know, it could determine the future of their department, their organization, and they're meeting with somebody that's not fully present. Well, guess what? I'm not giving you my dollars. And so that's why present, and you're absolutely right, it is energy. And some people think that's woo, and I say, okay, let's talk about the woo. Have you ever walked into a room, and all of a sudden you went, whoa, and they'll go, yeah that's energy. Something's off in the room. And it could be Thanksgiving dinner where yeah. Uncle Henry showed up and nobody likes him. Okay. Or it could be a networking event or something. So absolutely, your improv training goes right into a sales call and making a decision to be present. That's a big one. So
0: what? W- where would be a good place to start, in your opinion, your experience, to start building those emotional intelligence skills? How can people become more self-aware, more socially aware? What would be some of those examples be?
1: You know, one of the advice I give everyone is, number one, carve out quiet time, preferably in the morning to reflect. Okay, again, that which you're not aware of, you cannot change. Mm -hmm. So you have to identify, where did I get emotionally triggered as a sales professional or a sales leader? And then how do I change my response? Because we all know the trigger isn't going to change. But then from there, I think it's also as you're debriefing sales calls and there's a miss, often what we have a tendency to do is look at the selling skill that was missed. And that Mm -hmm. is important. Yeah. I would look at the soft skill that's also missing there. So, for example, empathy is one huge skill out there. But if a salesperson is being assertive on a call, you know, asking challenging questions on a call, but they're not demonstrating empathy they might have blown trust and rapport. And so I I suggest to people, look at the hard skills and soft skills at mm-hmm. that selling stage and see which one needs more development.
0: So empathy, empathy. I, I, I used to be a member of Vistage and I used to be a Vistage speaker. So I would go speak in front of all these, usually men. And I would talk about emotional intelligence and I talk about empathy. And one day, one of these CEOs said to me, I do not have time for empathy for these people. (laughs) I am not going to be empathetic. They should just get it. And I was like, "Okay, that's a separate conversation for later. So how do we get people to become more empathetic? How do we move? How do we move that needle?
1: Well, here I've heard the same thing from CEOs, sales leaders. This is what they're confusing. They believe that empathy means you let people off the hook. There is a time when it you simply as a coach display pure empathy. And let's say you've got a salesperson that's done everything right, and that deal's going south. That's an empathy conversation. Now, if you have a salesperson that isn't demonstrating selling behaviors that might be impacting the whole company. Let's say the good old CRM conversation, right? That's the time when you demonstrate empathy, but you follow it up with assertiveness and expectations. Mm-hmm. So that's where they confuse the two. And then I would say the second one, I don't know what this gentleman's thinking. <laughs> empathy sometimes is one or two sentences and it can change the conversation Because what I talk about a lot, and I know I'm not the only person saying this, people can't hear you until you've heard, they feel like you've heard them. So this gentleman is probably saying and telling and doing the same things over and over and not getting behavior change. And literally, if somebody's ears are emotionally on fire or they don't feel like you care, the message doesn't land. So he's actually wasting more time by demonstrating empathy in the right context, in the right places.
0: Right, right. What about in a sales conversation for the individual contributor out there who doesn't have somebody like you or I to coach them? And of course we're available for that. But if they don't have us for that, what is something that they could do to show or demonstrate empathy in a sales conversation that would make that prospect or client feel like you get them?
1: Well, one thing I would say is that in the pre-call planning and if they've identified a pain point, let's say they're getting ready to do the more discovery call, you know, just stop and think, what's the day in the life like for this prospect? Mm. What's this pain affecting them? And that's where it takes thinking. And see, this is what people don't recognize. We're, We're losing our ability to think. And you got to think of what somebody's day in the life is like before you can express what the day in the life is like. So let's say they've, uh, here's an example that I used at a second book. And I said, you've got a prospect that's open and the current vendor fell short. Buying signal. Well, now think about that prospect. Here's what they're thinking I like you, Gina, but the last person I liked, they said all the right things. I really did my due diligence. And I still made a wrong decision. You know what the emotion is? Self-doubt. I don't know if I'm capable of making a good decision. So you know what? I won't make any decision. And if the salesperson doesn't say all those things, hey, listen, we're all pretty likable Bet the other person said they could do this. Bet you did your due diligence and you still made a decision that is not serving you well. And you're probably thinking, I'm saying anything you want to hear. Is that fair? And you stop. Because now you've said what that prospect is thinking or feeling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Two stories on that because I use I always use like dating analogies or (laughs) relationship analogies. When I started dating my husband and I was like, you're just too good. There's you're too good to be true. There's something wrong with this picture. And he he goes. This is who I am. This is what it is. If you can't accept that, you should just go. And I was like, whoa, okay, right? And that, for some reason, that eliminated my fears because he just, you know, he was assertive about it. But I always think about that in conversations in general. And this happened Mm -hmm. to me with a deal that the, who I thought was the authorized buyer, who was, who said, okay, let's go sign you know verbally signed off get the agreement sent the agreement the CFO put a stop to it and the CFO wouldn't sign off on it so i didn't realize that i missed the other buyer and he was you know kind of sent this nasty email to me about we i want a guarantee that you know i want a refund policy i want all these things and i was like whoa so of course my initial emotional reaction right that knee jerk fight or flight i was like <laughs> Exactly. Right. And then I'm like,
1: nope. And then maybe some sign language you were thinking about using. Exactly.
0: (laughs) I'm like, no. I picked up the phone. I called him and I said, hey, Scott, what's going on? Good for you. Right. And so, you know, CFO type, right. We know it's a different kind of persona. But he went on, like, you know, well, we just want to guarantee, we want to make sure that this is going to work. And I said, And he's like, we want a refund policy. I said, Scott, here's, can't guarantee it because I can't guarantee the transference when I'm gone. I can't guarantee that your leaders are going to do their job. I can train them to it. I can coach them to it. But I can't guarantee it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, that is what it is. I said, but what I will do is I, and before I got to that, he said, we've been burned before. There you go. Right. There's
1: the backstory. Mm-hmm.
0: So he gives me the backstory. So part of this story for everybody is do not do this over email. I'd never responded to him in an email. I stopped what I was doing. I picked up the phone. I called him. I let him talk. And when he said, we've been burned, I said, OK, I totally get it. I've heard this before. Not my first rodeo. I've seen this happen. And this is why all these years of training that I have been doing, this is what I've learned. I will stay at it to make sure that this training sticks as far as like through the process. If it's not working through the training process, we will change it. I will stay in touch. I will follow up. I will make sure you're getting what you need until you guys are happy. That's what I can do. And he said, he goes, okay, I just needed, he goes, I just needed to vent.
1: Well, but you know what strikes me is what happened here is you had a sales ghost from the past show up. Yeah. And a sales ghost is you think your competitor are the maybe two companies you're competing against. It may be an, a vendor from an entirely different industry for this CFO. I don't know. Yeah. That fell short on their promises. So now that ghost is showing up again and he's putting that persona on you. And so that that's one to be, you got to really be tuned into it. And you picked up on it right away, like guarantees and this, I mean, the ridiculous request, right? Right. you so going on there. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And you knew that there was something. Like into that. Yeah. I was trying to figure out what's the underlying issue here because it's not me. It's not us. There's something deeper going on. Let me get to that. And then when he said, I just needed an event, he, go, he goes, I'm good now. I'm good. I'll sign it. And I said, great. I said, I am going to send you a follow-up email with my commitment to you that states I'm going to be. Continuing to stay on this to make sure you get what you want. He's like, I'm good, I'm good. Just sign. I'm going to sign it. So, and I still have a. Re- they're still my client. They still work with me, right? They still go through. You know, they're still my client. They're a repeat client. But that conversation with that, like, those are the unknowns. I think for salespeople that they're not aware of, from an EQ standpoint, that they're not getting deep enough in who all the stakeholders
1: are and what's impacting them. Exactly. And the fact that you picked up the phone. I mean, how many people would have this kind of going, Oh, I don't want to have this conversation. I'm conflict avoidant. And instead, you're just simply going, I'm, you were truly being curious. You know, we always talk about it. Don't you want to, with some in our business, don't you sometimes want to go, I'm done with the cliche words? <laughs> Everybody <laughs> says be curious and nobody's curious. But you were truly, in my opinion, curious as to what's going on here and picked up the phone to have the conversation. I think a lot of people would avoid that due to, you know, some story they're telling themselves, I'm going to get yelled at, I'm going to be yeah. asked a question I don't answer. Well, <laughs> you're you're going to not know the real case, and then you've just wasted a lot of time. So,
0: Well, I think you hit on a, it, whether or not it's a cliche word, it is a word that I love is curious. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably one of my secret sauces, because it goes hand in hand. With creativity and improv and being childlike, the childlike curiosity, I think doing improv for decades has kept me a little bit childlike state Mm -hmm. where I'm curious about everything in the sales process, everything about the organization, everything about everybody on your team. I just like, oh, I want to know more about that. And I get entrenched in that. The curious factor goes a long way. Is there anything that you do or suggestions that you have for improving that? curious factor?
1: You know, one that's helped me is, and it was something that happened many years ago and probably has played in. And let me see if I can connect the dots here. So many years ago, I was at Varsity Spirit Corporation. Jeff Webb was the CEO at that time. And Varsity is the school spirit company. So they're getting Mm -hmm. ready to, they brought in, I don't even know how many instructors at that point, three to 500 instructors to go out and teach cheerleading and dance camps, right? And this is the most buffed group of young people you've ever seen. And I remember Jeff, you know, addressing and welcoming them and said, let me share with you. You're so excited right now to go out and teach 50 camps. I expect that same level of enthusiasm Mm. when it's your 50th camp, because for that child, that teenager, our customer it's their first. And so I believe if you can always go in, this might be the first time this customer has talked about this particular problem. So that, yeah. I don't know why, and I don't know if that's a great example, but boy, it is. is a story that stuck with me for years. You got to show up like it's your first yes. time.
0: It is, it is a great example. And thanks for bringing it up because that triggers me that when I owned an improv comedy theater and I had a, a troupe of improv entertainers, they would get, you know, we're doing shows without a script we're doing shows based on audience reaction, audience suggestion. They give it, we take it, we do something with it. Think about that in the sales space. They would get so frustrated. Like we debrief at the end of the show and they're like, if we get the suggestion of, because we live in a beach town, if we get the suggestion one more time of being on the beach or hang gliding, they just, they give the same suggestions all the time. And I'm like, No, you just hear them all the time. It's the first time they're giving you the suggestion. It's the first time they've been to see us. It's their first time. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you guys just have to up the game every time you do it. Entertain yourself. Pretend Mm -hmm. it's the first time you're hearing it. But there's that boredom factor that I think sometimes we get restless with the repetition instead of accepting the fact that the repetition is actually pursuit of mastery.
1: Absolutely, and here's been my experience, because you know, in our business, we're gonna hear some of the same quote pain points, right? If you're truly patient, run your process, the impact is generally different or there's some uniqueness in the impact of that very common sounding problem. And so I think that's where if you can train yourself, yeah, this sounds similar, But the story is going to be highly different or the goal or the outcome. Yeah.
0: The outcome, especially the outcome, Mm -hmm. especially and better yet. Hey, you're so good at taking this suggestion and running with it. Just do it a little bit better this time. Did you like the way you did it last time? I mean, that's how I up my game every time. Like, Mm -hmm. how do I do it better? I mean, you're out on the road, you're out, you're speaking, you're training, you're in front of people. I'm going to selfishly ask, like, what are some of your hacks to stay on top of your game and constantly being improving at?
1: You know, I am a huge reader and I not only read books around sales and and business, but I read books on psychology, Mm -hmm. I read spiritual books, I read a variety of things and it's amazing where I can get some of my teachings there. So number one, I'm a huge reader and I'm fortunate that I like reading. And whether you're listening on tape or reading, I like to mark it up And that. The second thing is after I do an engagement, then I debrief myself. This could be better. This could Mm -hmm. have. And so, for example, with some of our virtual training, Julie just found a new tool that when they come back from breakout rooms, the music's going to be a little bit clearer. It was still okay, but we were like, you know, it's still kind of crackly. And so now we've got a new tool. So it's just constantly, yeah. I think, evaluating yourself and then what yeah. went well. So with yeah. the recent keynote I had, I went, okay, that really landed. Yeah. And I'm surprised that was the note that landed. And so yeah. in my, I immediately doing a deep effect after that.
0: Okay. I just wanted to see if that was a technique that you did because I, I do the same thing of doing that evaluation. And sometimes I'm like, Can't find the answer for it. Can't find the answer for it. This last time, you know, if I do a full day with a company and, you know, by three o'clock they're dragging and I'm like, okay, and it's powerful all the way. And then I kept running into a rhythm of like, I started to accept that this is what it's going to be at three o'clock. And I'm like, no, there's got to be something different I can do. And I came up with a new way to end a day. And it was the most powerful. I'm like, why have I not been doing that?
1: Why did it take
0: me like 20 years to figure <laughs> this little piece out? Right.
1: Right. So but, it does. But the good news is you kept after it, right? Trying to yeah. figure it out. And in fairness, everybody reads about the, you know, your the most people have a lull at two or three o'clock. So, you know. Frankly, you might have been getting encouraged by everybody. Oh, Gina, that's just the way it is. And so
0: that could be it. Right. I was like, oh, you know, this is the way it's always going to be status quo. And then I'm like, I'm determined. I'm happy I changed it because at the end of it, you know, the leader was like, that was amazing. Yeah. Come back next year. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Can you (laughs) sign the agreement right now? Okay, one, one more question. Maybe one more. We'll see. What's more important? EQ or IQ? And talk a little bit about the difference between the two.
1: So the answer is, I think they're both equally important. And this is where I think people get very nervous when they know that this is kind of where we specialize because they're like, what do you mean the IQ? So in the sales context, I frame up IQ as product knowledge, technical knowledge, development skills, sales process skills, presentation skills. So kind of the hard skills, Mm -hmm. then the EQ skills can be a variety, empathy, interpersonal skills, impulse control, reality testing, optimism, and all of those skills help with the execution of the hard skills. So it's kind of like diet and exercise. You can hit your sales goal without studying EQ. Yeah. Right. You can hit your sales goal probably with a lot of EQ and maybe not as much a sales process, but if you're going to get to the goal fastest... It's like diet and exercise. Yeah. Learn both and master both. So that's where, and I think in this day and age, you know, it's moving fast out there. It's changing mm-hmm. really fast. And so if they're equipped with 100% of the skills, yeah, I think they're going to quit stressing out and burning out and dropping yeah. out because if, frankly, if you're not hitting the fun quota, then sales is not the profession. Yeah. You know, you're well, f- fun out there.
0: I would say, the f- tell me about the fun quota. What's the fun quota? I love fun. What's the fun quota?
1: Well, right now, and I know you're seeing and hearing all of it and the research is, you know, most, you know, how many, what percentage of salespeople are stressed, they find it hard. And I guess for me, after being, studying EQ for a long time, is stress is really caused by your perception of most things. Yeah. You really studied the experts on it. They've all got different themes, but adversity hits and you will have two people that come out of adversity well and others that really get buried by it. And a lot of times it is their perspective on it. And so, yeah. Okay, sales is stressful. And so is life. And so if you just normalize it, I mean, raising children is going to be stressful. And then if you start putting in strategies, which is control what you can control.
0: Yeah. 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 It's funny. I'm part of a mastermind group of women, of successful women that are like high achievers. and. We had one of our small group meetings today and we're sharing the different challenges, talking about fear. If you could start, stop, start or stop doing something like what, how, what, how fear plays a part in that. But this woman in particular said, I'm having a pity party right now. And when I'm done, I'm going to leverage the adversity. There
1: you go. And I was
0: like, that is an awesome quote. Yeah. <laughs> going to have a pity party and leverage the adversity.
1: Yes. And to add to that, when you study adversity, resilience, whatever umbrella you want to put it under, people have a core belief that manage adversity and stress well. There will be a gift in this. Absolutely. I don't know when it's showing up. So that's the other thing, you know, because you'll be sitting there going, okay, I'm not seeing the gift. You You know, know? you can show up anytime. Well, it sometimes doesn't show up for another year for a variety of reasons. But if you look back on your life, there are lots of gifts and even like tough times. Maybe the biggest thing it teaches you is
0: compassion. Yeah. Since you're such a reader, have you read the book, A Beautiful Constraint?
1: I have not, but I'm going to write it down.
0: Put that on your list. This is one of my favorite books. I used to give these books out to clients. I would buy them as Christmas gifts, but it's along those lines of like, what is the constraint? What is the beauty in the constraint? So it's a really kind of different way to like shape your mindset around it.
1: Yeah. And in this psychology world, they call it reframing. And so if you can reframe, wow, that was a tough sales call. You know what? Good. It's going to make me be a lot more grateful for my existing clients. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or, okay. And then I think with tough sales calls, it's so easy to say, well, that was a jerk. She was a jerk. Okay. Was I prepared? What lesson did I Mm -hmm. get out of here? I was asked a question. And maybe you couldn't be prepared for the question. It just came out of nowhere, but at least you have the question to yeah. research and then for your next call you're better prepared and could it could be even yeah. better opportunity?
0: i say you know going back to the fun quota look at the fun with it i treat everything like a puzzle or a riddle to solve like when i lose a deal i lost a really big deal that i had to get multiple people involved with at the company because it was that big of a deal and we lost the deal and i'm like I was determined and I was the lead on it. And I'm like, I'm going back in. And I'm (laughs) like, I'm going back in. (laughs) I love those words. I'm going back back, in. Going back. I'm like, and I reached out to the coach and I'm like, I need to know why we lost it so that I can do it better. Like I want to know what was the, what did we miss? Mm -hmm. Just so I understand the the decision-making process. And, I was like what Jeb will call a rat on a Cheeto that I wouldn't
1: let go of it. And... I got a visual.
0: Yeah, yeah. And basically, you know, what I found out was they had a criteria that they were following that I never uncovered in the discovery process. It was like a scoring system amongst vendors. So I don't know if I could have changed that any differently. Mm -hmm. But the point is like, I didn't get frustrated with it. I just learned from it. I learned, which helped me in today's call, right? When I got on today's call, that's what I was thinking about was that deal go. I lost on that scale. And I'm like, right? And so, I don't know.
1: Just in ram. Ways, but I give you credit here because it is so easy in life to do to, to this where they were just a stupid prospect, right? <laughs> and, right? Or, you know, I don't know why I have the worst territory, what happened. <laughs> and the fact is, you took accountability. And that's another thing that lowers stress is the more con- now you can own it too much. And, yeah. there, you know, there's own the right part of yeah, it. Yeah. But the fact that you owned it is why you're getting the lesson.
0: Yeah. I'm like, I don't. OK, I've lost it. I've accepted that. I'm good with that. I'm like, I want to up my game. Like, what didn't I uncover in the process? So I do it better next time. Yeah.
1: So I have one more comment on yeah. the fun quota. You just made me think of something. So right before the Christmas holidays. I gave a keynote to my former company and it was great funds because I saw a few of the reps that I used to have on my sales team. And this cracked me up because the company's, you know, much larger now. So when I was a VP of sales, I would make them play games at the national sales. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And they would all complain about the games and have a great time. So I saw three of them and it was kind of back to back in the hallway. High. All three said the same thing. Do you remember how you used to make us play those stupid games? And I started laughing. And they go, that was so much fun. And I sometimes think sales organizations don't know how to have fun anymore. It's not your awards dinner. I just simply think there might be more thought around what is truly fun. And because all three of them said the same thing, and it was almost the same sentence. Yeah. Those stupid games, that was really fun. Yeah. Well, I think we've been conditioned to not have fun. I think there is a
0: guilt factor where people feel like, A, we're not supposed to have fun, we're at work. B, I don't want to look silly. And uh, because if I'm having fun, I don't look professional. And, you know, I'm obviously big into the fun quota and the fun factor. Yeah. I revolve around fun because I feel like the learning is more retainable if you're actually having fun in the process. And next thing you know, you're like, "Oh my gosh!" I and I do these like, uh, let's just say, I did a sales kickoff a couple weeks ago. I always do debrief with the client the next week. We kind of just talk about what happened at the session. And this is the second time I've done their kickoff. And nice, he's like, they were. He's like, they were so, they were so much more engaged this year. They were so much more talkative. They were so much more involved. You know, part of it we can say they knew me a little bit better but I also understood their industry better and I've been coaching their leadership team for the past year. Right. I got entrenched, Mm -hmm. but it was how how do like, again, I'm always thinking progressively, how do I make it better for them? How do I make it more engaging for them and have them go through training that they don't realize that they're learning?
1: Yes. Well, you know, I think it was Bob Pike, you know, Mm -hmm. has that big training program Mm -hmm. company. And when I went through their certification years ago, one of my notes that I continued to practice, and I sounds like you have too, people learn best when they're having fun. Yes. Because I know I was very intense, you know, as you VP know, of sales and my intent was good. Okay, we got to get through all this material. and And you know what? When I kind of went through that training, I thought, okay, I need to lighten up a little bit. And yeah, that was a really good learning point for me that people learn best when they're having fun. Well,
0: I'll give you one little sneak peek how I ended this kickoff a few weeks ago. I wanted to give them the high energy at the end. So usually I do like a high energy thing in the beginning to wake them up. Mm -hmm. I like reversed it and they were expect they're like, are we not going to I do a dance party? They're like, are we not we're not doing a dance party? Like, that's how I would kick off. And I'm like, no, I thought I would do something different this year, get you guys into discussions. We're not going to do a dance party. I said, but the end might be different, right? So I created the anticipation for them. So at the end of their day, they had to take everything that they learned, but then find a way to play it back to the group. So in groups, they took the content and turned that content that they learned into movie trailers, (laughs)
1: <laughs> love it love it
0: live movie trailers that they had to perform that <laughs> oh my were gosh. examples of how they do business with their customers and so they all had to play a role they you know they had to get creative they had to figure out their props they had to have a voiceover you know coming soon to it. Thea- like and the leader was like you're doing what oh okay yeah and they couldn't stop laughing. The videos of this stuff is hysterical. But that's that was their wrap up. And they were on they walked and out on
1: never forget it.
0: They'll never forget it. And they walked out on a high. But it was the way for them to present. This is what we learned today.
1: Absolutely. That's bro. Oh, yeah. Absolutely brilliant.
0: (laughs) So I put that comes from the improv world. It's an improv game. It has been so fun having you here today. I hope you would come back again on the show. Absolutely. If people want to connect with you, reach out to you, work with you, what are the best ways for them to do that?
1: Uh, You know, our website, like many, has some really good resources, free resources, and that's salesleadershipdevelopment.com. Okay. And then obviously I'm on LinkedIn. That's another good way we're posting like you guys are. So I've got a video every week and then some post twice a week there too. So sign up for our newsletter if you're prone to do that. And it's geared a little bit more for sales leaders right now than salespeople. But generally, you know, the message resonates across the roles.
0: Yeah. Well, great. I know sales leaders need help. So check out Colleen Stanley and all the places. Thanks again, Colleen, for being here today on The Women Your Mother Warned You About. I hope it was fun (laughs) for you.
1: It was. And I love the title of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners to listening to this episode brought to you by SalesGravy, And hey, if you are a sales leader or an individual contributor, check out salesgravy.university where we've got nearly 200 courses, both live and on demand. A couple of courses I may have created in there. Check that out to take your skill level to the next level. And check us out at womenyourmotherwornjubout.com or salesgravy.com or salesgravy.university. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye, Colleen. Bye-bye.